Hello, welcome to the Gaming and Marketing Podcast. I'm Jamin Warren, your host and founder of 256, a strategic consultancy that helps brands reach gamers as customers. Our clients' organizations often struggle with reaching this crucial audience with an authentic and natural voice that does not compromise the value of their brand. They want to find familiar customers in the world of gaming, but aren't sure where to start. We started this podcast to give you insight into why marketing to gamers is more important than ever. Hey there. So normally we do interviews. We thought we'd try something a little bit different. This time you're going to hear from a couple members of our team. It's our first roundtable approach. We'd love to know what you think, but we hope you like it. All right, let's jump right into it. Thanks everybody for for joining me. I've got Lynn and Paolo here. Lynn, do you want to give a Lynn and Paolo give a brief introduction in terms of uh, who you are and what you do for Two Five Six? Yeah, I'm Lynn. I'm the junior audience strategist at Two Five Six. So I handle a lot of the strategic work, understanding audiences, trends, and being able to translate that into different opportunities and thought starters for clients to be able to take forward into the world. Awesome. Paolo? Hey, I'm Paolo. I use they, them. I'm a content strategist here at 256. I'm responsible for a lot of our creative output and assist on the strategy side as well. Awesome. Now, we've been doing these ideas roundtables every Friday. Lynn's been doing a great job putting these together, and we thought that we would share one with all of you based on some of the work that we've been doing internally and just chatting about internally. So one of the big things that we've been looking at is YouTube. Y'all, a lot of folks take YouTube for granted, right? We're getting at this stage now where many digital platforms are getting, quote unquote, long in the teeth. But gaming has a very special part to play in YouTube's life cycle and development. It's one of the biggest categories on the platform. It doesn't often get as much direct attention as some YouTubers or influencers do, but is by far and away one of the most popular things that people use YouTube for. With that note, I want to talk a little bit about maybe just like the general landscape. What do you all think about like some of the connections between YouTube, TikTok, Instagram, Twitch? Like what's the intersection? Because I think we're getting to this place now where you have to think holistically, obviously, about each one of these platforms and inside of each one of these platforms. There's a lot of different varieties, but talk a little bit about maybe like how YouTube intersects with other platforms outside of itself. Maybe Lynn, if you want to kick us off. Yeah, I really like to talk about how we live in this like multi-channel digital age where no content really truly lives by itself in isolation. So with all of these other, especially newer, quote unquote, newer platforms with TikTok and Twitch and um, all of the different iterations is that a creator will often be on all of them. So if you're streaming on Twitch, that definitely has a certain interpersonal connection being live. You're on there for a couple hours at a time. You take the highlights of that, you cut them up, you make it the most interesting, snappy, short form content that you can put on YouTube. So that way it's how somewhere the VOD system on Twitch can sometimes be a little bit hard to go through and isn't necessarily the easiest for new viewers to look through. But mm. if it's on YouTube, where a lot of people are a little bit more well-versed, they've spent a, several more years being able to adjust to the platform and how it's grown, being able to put the highlights, the top-level stuff on YouTube, you might be able to gain a new audience. You might be able to gain an audience strictly on YouTube who might not be watching your stuff on stream 
but they'll be able to be part of your community in a different facet. And then with TikTok and Instagram, a lot of these are also just being able to create even shorter forms of content so that they all work together in this larger ecosystem of building awareness, building visibility, and being able to connect with fans on different levels where their community is at. Yeah. Yeah. I look forward to the days when I look forward to the next platform. I'll be like one second videos, microsecond videos, some new like digital platform. What are some of those differences between, it's interesting because you're like, you're trying to find, like it's at the end of the day, a lot of times for gaming content, there's a lot of different types. So some of it's educational, some of it's focused on more personality based, like through, you know, live streaming. What are some of those differences between the different types of content? What if you're a gaming creator or a brand that's thinking about the gaming space, what might be some of the different considerations that you might have between taking the same piece of content, how it might express itself on TikTok versus Twitch versus Instagram, because the platforms are all different at the end of the day. We know from the 2019 study that we reviewed of just like insights about YouTube's audience and behaviors that they really value instructional content and content that caters towards really niche interests that they have. And so I feel like I'll notice this too with some of the streamers that I follow. I follow like a lot of them. It's really into Hearthstone Battlegrounds at the moment. So I'm just like watching a lot of those people. <laughs> it's sort of my first foray into that, into the streaming world yeah. as like a viewer. But notice that streamers will take VODs, highlights from their, their normal like Twitch streams, and then they'll reposition them as how-to guides about like how to play a certain hero, play a certain strategy for YouTube, but makes it appear more evergreen, but is really just like taking like a highlight from yesterday's stream and positioning it in that way. And I, I feel like that's like an effective way of responding to the way that YouTube as a platform operates and what its audience is, what its audience tends to look for. Yeah, no, that's such a great point. I think there are also some interesting like platform specific limitations that content creators have to think about, whether it's like the differences of how each, I guess, arcane algorithm works that content creators are guessing at, but also like with TikTok, for example, all of the videos there have a max cap at one minute. So being able to, they might also be doing clips and highlight reels there, but they're going to specifically narrow in on very small moments that will grab your attention. So you're not just like swiping through your for you page and just like skate on by. Whereas when using YouTube, you can have longer form content. But again, as you mentioned, it will be framed in a different way, either super personality based. So you'll just laugh the whole time or it'll be like a super cuts of getting scared the pants off of or or it'll be very instructional and be particularly deep. What is nice for a lot of Twitch streamers who also create content on YouTube, I think, is Paolo, as you were mentioning, being able to reframe it. But it also gives people an instance to go back over what they had previously filmed and add additional commentary or edit it down to something that they also see is very valuable for their audiences and for the people playing their games, that there's a give and take in that relationship as well, that they're mm -hmm. able to do different things on their platforms that might suit the needs of whoever might be stumbling upon them. I think it, it's a hedge too, right? That's part of it as well as I think particularly after Vine's closure, for example, there were a mm -hmm. lot of creators who ended up having their communities completely abandoned. I spoke to a YouTube game influencer last year, and that was one of the things that he was saying. He's very active on very active on YouTube, but also very active, was very active early on TikTok and also on Instagram. And it's a lot of work, but the way that he framed it was like, I just want to make sure that I don't have 
all my eggs in one basket. It's like a portfolio mm-hmm. approach where he's looking for ways to, and there's also these considerations as well. Like each of the platforms has technical considerations, but also there's stylistic ones as well. So it that is a very interesting approach. I think a new challenge for this generation of mm-hmm. social content creators to be thinking about, okay, I need to have a point of view that's expansive enough that it can live in all of these different places without mm-hmm. me having to like completely reinvent myself like every single time I <laughs> publish something to the internet. I just feel like there's certain like things that are specific to gaming mm. in that it like it reaches like a lot of different people in a lot of different kinds of way. Like I for instance, like I think unlike a lot of other like media, I think to be to be somebody who's interested in gaming, like probably entails that you're like a an active participant like you're a gamer you like take part in the experiences themselves and i think like the reason why like instructional content for instance like might appeal to gamers is because it's on the one hand like you're able to like spectate people who might be like phenomenally good at their at their particular game at their particular skill set you might be absorbing it just because you want to to watch people like perform really well but you also might want to see if like they have any like guidance to impart on you as like a as a player yourself so i feel like there's there's like a multitude of different formats that i think will be appealing to different people like whether they are like reaction videos or whether they're instructional or whether it's just whether it's like the kotaku like highlight reel i guess no longer kotaku but <laughs> like highlight reel type content where it's just, just like gawking at like glitches in video games like i think there's just like a multiple there's like a multitude of different kinds of video formats that work for this audience, which is, which I think like, like provides like a lot of potential to people who are hoping to be creators, like entering the space. Yeah. I think the educational portion of YouTube, like speaking as a former educational content creator, uh, (laughs) the educational side of YouTube, I think is one of these things that like when we talk about YouTube is like really unique and distinct to that platform. And I feel like we have this conversation with other non-gaming things. So like sourdough bread making, for example, was like huge this year. Mm-hmm. I I frequently am going to YouTube with a very specific question in mind. And the way that we interact with YouTube, it sometimes it's broadcast like you're subscribing to different channels. But in many instances, and this is borne out by YouTube's own own research in terms of like why people use YouTube, is like the desire to learn something new, I think is, is one of these things that I, th- I feel like YouTube, like people, when they think about YouTube from a brand standpoint, education is not something that they're, they're thinking about, but it really is a place where people fundamentally go to learn something new. And when playing games, like that is, there's so many things that you want to look up when you're playing games, whether it's like how to beat a particular level, or if you're trying to like build your own like PC, if there's Harvard related questions, or there's so much of that stuff that like, you can just go to YouTube and find. And I think that's a very, tr- I feel like, I don't know. Do you, do you all feel that way? I feel like when people talk about gaming YouTube, I don't think the educational element, it's like pu- people talk about PewDiePie, right? Or the most popular yeah. streamer on the platform and not thinking about like, what are the very functional transactional ways that people interact with gaming content on YouTube? That seems to like not be, that seems that, I don't know, when people talk about YouTube as a gaming brand, that's, that's not something that comes up. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. I think that this is one of the kind of, difficulties that I know that we experience or that some of our clients have experienced in trying to be able to really say, hey, gaming is valuable in the sense is that people only view it as raw entertainment and entertainment 
mindlessly and fail to realize what makes gaming really entertaining for a lot of ways. In some elements, it's like the social aspect. Other elements, it's about overcoming challenges. It can be learning. It could be distraction. It could be narrative, lore. It could be a whole variety of different reasons why people are entertained by it. And Paolo, like you were saying, it is also a, a medium in which people are active participants in creating that entertainment as well, or being able to receive that entertainment, where this might be a controversial statement, but I think most people enjoy video games when they're good at them, or <laughs> when they can do it. I think that, I don't know, for me personally, I find, I sometimes I do like a frustrating challenge, but I like the frustration because hopefully at the end of it, I overcome it. And that part is what feels good and why I want to keep playing games. But there are so many elements of games themselves that are educational or are historical or storytelling based and interactive and entertaining on in ways that we see other things really take off on YouTube. So in terms of like inspiration for DIY projects, for instance, like sometimes it can be learning how to get into carpentry and create your own coffee table. And sometimes it is how to make a really cool thing in Minecraft. Like a lot of these things can be, it's entertaining because maybe this person is really fun and engaging, but I'm also maybe learning something along the way, regardless of whether or not I will actually build a full replica of the Smithsonian in Minecraft or build myself a coffee table. Sometimes it's just the idea of, hey, I can watch this person and feel inspired, motivated, and educated to maybe do that somewhere along the way. Yeah. That yeah. completely goes unrecognized because the really big personalities, the way that marketers tend to leverage those personalities is not through those means, or at least they don't think yeah. about it through those means. Mm -hmm. That they're not thinking of like Jack Septicai as someone who is teaching people things, even though yeah. he very well mm -hmm. is in a lot of situations. Mm -hmm. I feel like I have a hypothesis because I, I feel like... Do it. Tell us about the hypothesis. <laughs> I'm just curious. I'm just curious what you both think because I feel like I feel like gaming on YouTube was really instrumental in, in cultivating like the sort of like ecosystem of like parasocial relationships that people have to like gaming related creators like today. Like we like talked about, I think there are like a ton of different channels through which you might be able to maintain these parasocial relationships nowadays. Like TikTok's one way, Instagram is one way, Twitter... And now Twitch and and YouTube Live. And I remember, like, when I was a freshman in college, like, I first, like, encountered the Let's Play format because there were a couple people in my dorm who were really into watching Markiplier play Amnesia The Dark Descent. Like, I think that was, like, like when this, this new genre of, like, horror game entertainment was beginning to germinate. The jump and, scare, um, like the it's, jump scare, it's perfect yeah. for it's perfect yeah. for clips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's perfect yeah. for that. It's also if you, it's like a way of vicariously, at least for me specifically, since I'm such a wimp at, at playing horror games. Like just like a way of vicariously experiencing like games that I thought were really interesting and like interesting from a de design perspective, but also just like very viscerally entertaining to watch. And I feel like over the years, because all of these new channels have emerged, like I I get the sense that gaming creators on YouTube have been forced to think a little bit more strategically how it fits in the wider ecosystem of channels that they might own. And I think before, like in the Let's Play era, and frankly, like the vlogging era, like when maybe Twitch wasn't as big as it was and live streaming wasn't as big, big as it was, like it was like a primary way of people being able to foster these parasocial relationships with the creators and influ influencers that they really liked. But 
I think now it's just, I feel like if you're a creator on the platform, like your YouTube strategy has to be really specific to the medium. Yeah. Yeah, it does definitely. I think this idea, yeah, I think there is this really fundamentally interesting relationship between the types of games that you play or the space that you occupy that you have to consider as a creator. What's your skill level going to be? What is the nature of this game? And it's, it's different versus something like Twitch where it's much more active, where there's this push and pull between what are people playing like at this moment? Um, there's so much that's placed on the immediacy of like what's big right now and a lot less focus on this sort of like back catalog. Whereas like with YouTube, like there is, because YouTube is the second largest search engine on the planet, there is this big, there is definitely this like long tail that you can be considering where the types of things that you're putting up there need to be, I don't know, in some ways, it's like a way of thinking about what does evergreen content look like on something like YouTube mm-hmm. versus something like Twitch. And yeah, finding ways to finding ways to instrumentalize that as a creator, I think is, is really important. And frankly, it's, it's very hard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Volume always helps. So I guess that's the idea. Like <laughs> you can put a ton of, there is no penalty, I guess, at, at some level by, mm-hmm. um, by producing a lot, you have a lot to ultimately like work with. I guess along those lines, like, how do you see we've been talking a bit about particularly the educational side of something like YouTube? How do you see like brands playing into that space? So you have this, you have this behavior on YouTube as a platform that's distinct to YouTube, particularly for gaming. Like, how do you tap into that? How do you build an audience that's distinct to the YouTube gaming audience that might be different from certainly other channels? I think one of the things that I know that I frequently either, if not directly say, but I'm thinking internally from my point of view for research and strategy work is to really view YouTube as not just being a singular channel and therefore like really approaching the gaming audience as a really complicated and nuanced space where there's actually more opportunities rather than just saying, I need to score the biggest influencers to be able to get any traction in the gaming sphere is the recognition that a lot of people who are part of the YouTube gaming ecosystem are also part of the YouTube ecosystem. And also very few people I think are only in one niche. Like I think that what we're saying with that there are a lot of like niche communities that there's a lot of specificity, specialization. A lot of people have crossover in ways that you can get some of those people who are watching Markiplier and Jacksepticeye and PewDiePie. You can get a lot of those people through the other educational games that you don't necessarily need to be on their channels in order to get some of their audience. And it might even be more beneficial to not go for the really wide net that you can go from these smaller creators that you can say, oh, I have an even better understanding of your audience. Like your audience is very into, I don't know, farming simulator, that you have a very specific, dedicated group of people. And just by some social listening observation, you can tell that these people might actually be more suited to what your brand values might align with or demographics wise. So many things with that your own audience strategy might be paying attention to that I think a lot of brands have really done well at utilizing micro influencers on Instagram and Twitter, but not so much on the YouTube lens, especially in terms of gaming YouTube, that Hmm. it's, there's all these really big fish that you forget that there's a whole 
ocean of creators out there. Yeah. I do think that there's a particular there's a particular hurdle that I think like brands have to overcome if they want to produce like instructional content on the platform and it's simply that like the gaming audience is incredibly skeptical of anybody who positions themselves as like an authority on pretty much anything and so i think i'm thinking mostly of the infamous like verge pc building (laughs) video it's like it becomes this thing that like gets posted on reddit and like spreads like wildfire like i feel like it's it's unfortunate that i think like really horrible really horrible content will like has like much more of a potential to like make an imprint on this audience than something that does like really well. And so I feel like it's, I feel like a challenge like with this particular platform is that you have to like be able to anticipate people really scrutinizing like the content that you produce and really scrutinizing the people that you purport to be like the sources of authority on any given subject matter. But if you succeed, then like you really succeed. Like if you're Linus Sebastian, then you like just, you like get to have this like sort of corner of youtube that that people are like really obedient towards but yeah 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 i think also like planning for that like long term right there is an extent to which like you're looking to build as a brand hopefully like one is like determining what is your value what is the value that you're adding to this ecosystem is it like um, are you authenticating a particular behavior are you facilitating something is it pure instruction so if you're like a brand that, you know, even if you're a brand outside of gaming, maybe you have a particular product that would be very useful to someone in a gaming ecosystem. So if you're a TV TV maker or headset manufacturer or whatever it might be, there's like value that you could add to this ecosystem. And that's not just like how to use this product. It could be, so I, I think there's an the extent to which like brands have to figure out what are the questions that people are asking currently and how are we uniquely positioned to help gamers answer that question? Because that's something that you know, I think gaming influencers do naturally because they're very community oriented. So they're constantly listening for what should I play next? What, should, what are you interested in? And so I think it could be hard for brands to like sublimate their what they want to say and say, okay, so how can I push this through the lens of through the lens of gaming? Because I, I think there's that long tail side of YouTube can be really powerful. I did, I used to host PBS Game Show. We did like an episode on like the history of Monopoly and it didn't do that well when we published it. And then like over the long term, and now it's like over 2 million views just because like over the long term, people are just like looking for stuff that's related to Monopoly. And that wasn't like, an, it wasn't an expected outcome that this was going to be the most successful episode that we ever did. But like that, you do have the potential there. And I think that's the other piece of it for brands. You need to be thinking about this. YouTube creators in particular, it's not lightning in a bottle. It's it's the sum total of micro video, a, a consistent release schedule over a long period, much longer period of time. So I feel like YouTube is like in that way. And obviously you can boost things with paid and get things to the top of the radar. But in terms of building like a long-term YouTube strategy, you really need to be thinking about, you really need to be thinking about what is the consistent messaging that you're going to be providing. Because if not, then you can be looking to other places, host on somebody else's channel, do something else in a different a different ecosystem, just focus on paid advertisement, pre-roll, things like that. Yeah, YouTube is is definitely very unique in that respect. Uh, I think mm-hmm. it's also, it speaks to what maybe the brand or business goals of being on YouTube mm-hmm. are. If it's the sense of becoming a trusted voice in this community that, Paolo, as you were saying, it doesn't happen quickly and it could erode way faster than it is built. But in the sense of being able to create content, not necessarily for super mind-boggling engagement rates, winning a can lion, like all of those things, like 
there are different goals for actively producing content on YouTube for YouTube for the gaming community that there may be other opportunities where you can either leverage the trust of an already established member of the gaming community on YouTube or really start from square one to be able to formulate that kind of strategy and trust over time. And if that is an investment that you're willing to make that you don't necessarily need to be the top of everyone's radar instantaneously, that you're okay with this being a project that, as you said, takes two years, but then ultimately becomes a very insightful video for something that someone just curiously searches for, that in and of itself becomes a really organic moment of trust building and a value add for the gaming community where you provide this moment of what feels like serendipity almost where it's oh i cannot believe someone made this video of this really specific question i had and they posted it in 2017 that makes zero (laughs) sense to me but here i am very grateful for it and i what else do they have because this was three years ago and maybe new stuff is here and I can look at it and it'll be good. Like that kind of speaks to the way that YouTube gets used where I think they do try and prioritize recent videos for large creators that there's like a trending section and all of that. But as you said, it's also a search engine and the second largest search engine. So if you can answer a question that someone is looking for, then you have done your job. And it might not necessarily be splashy, but if you can answer a question, anyone who approaches you is going to say, I trust that because <laughs> now I know. Yeah, and now I, I know. Maybe better for it. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully better for it. What were some of the trends that maybe was, were surprising to you? We, we spent a bunch of time talking about previously before we hopped on talking previously about some of the overall trends for YouTube, particularly as it relates to gaming, was there anything that was like surprising or notable for you in terms of looking at YouTube's own research, but also from your own observations of how content uh, grows or doesn't grow on the space? The report said that like younger you are, like the more you perform, sorry, the more you prefer short-term content. But the thing that's been surprising me recently has been like the amount of like longer form videos that seem to accumulate like a high amount of attention like for different i'm thinking of and this is more on the critical video essay side of youtube i haven't spent a ton of time like watching no clip or what's other it's like there's game makers toolkit too i think and then sometimes like digital foundry will like also post these like really long videos these really like technical deep dives and stuff but i'm consistently like surprised at how many views those videos get i think there's like something to that i think i think especially as as we've like talked about internally as a company before like i think there's as youtube has like slowly started to become this now that it's like on people's smart tvs it just becomes like the thing that you watch like after work it's no longer this it's no longer the youtube of my youth which was just like looking up like just random videos like from somebody with it's like a thousand views or something a hundred views on like a video of just like a pigeon walking down a staircase or something like that i feel like it's i feel like now it's become this like it's become like a format that people are like willing to spend more time on and take more seriously and yeah i don't know i'm just interested in what it takes to what it takes to hold people's attention on it because it's clear that people are capable of doing that but yeah i don't know It seems like there are a lot of different strategies for executing things like that. 
Yeah, I think what was, to your point also, what was interesting with the YouTube trend report was that things like production quality was, didn't rank particularly high on the reasons mm -hmm. why people are looking at things. And even though I see so much, many comments just being online or on Reddit or wherever where people are like very much clearly care about production quality but i feel like it's often so often couched under a different thing that matters more to them or it's own it's secondary to what really matters which is the production quality of this was bad which means that i couldn't learn what i wanted to learn or i care about this celebrity even though big name celebrities the presence of big name celebrities was fairly low on that list of what people were interested in is for one thing how do we define a celebrity now is a very good question, but it now becomes a matter of, I don't really see this person as a celebrity because the reason why I know about them and like them and feel that they are popular and famous is because they produce something that I care about. It's something where I can dive deeper into an interest of mine, which I think was like the number one or number two spot for most of the reasons in most of the countries that they surveyed where it's more about the intent and less about the execution, maybe about how people are perceiving the content that is on YouTube. Yes, we care that it's not the worst quality thing, but there are a lot of people who are willing to suffer through bad audio quality if the rest of the content is really thorough and engaging. Not everyone who streams on Twitch or YouTube gaming also like will have a camera on them some people now expect it because it's a norm but if they are really engaging or informative or really skilled you can get away with not being a personality there are all of these different reasons why people are more attracted to content and willing to give their time to that content either it is an extended three hour long history of the destiny 2 lore which i may or may not have been listening to earlier today <laughs> or it is along the lines of just watching the videos that come up in the autoplay features that there are different reasons mm. why you are willing to sit through those things sometimes i let the algorithm tell me what i want to watch and sometimes it is right and that is fine because i learned some interesting things or even if i wasn't searching for it it's this is the answer to a question i never thought i'd ask i didn't actually ask it but now it's answered solve that mystery yeah <laughs> but mm -hmm. there are things like that where i'm willing to keep watching because not because of production quality or anything like that and i it was surprising to see but not surprising to understand once i was really thinking about it on that trend report like yeah, it's an expectation that your production is good enough that you're not embarrassed to publish, and that is about it. It's a low bar. <laughs> I do think I'd suspect that like the the absence of a preference for like high production value or production quality on videos is also like just a result of I don't know like valuing like an intimate like relationship to the creator. Like I think or valuing like having this sort of like feeling as though you like understand like their life situation and who they are i feel like it's i feel like in that sense like i can see why it wouldn't be because i think like the things that you associate with like high production value or that it's like 
you are aware that this person like has a team of people like working behind them. I think there's like something like really, I think there's something really special about like the vlogger viewer relationship in the sense that we've like talked about like the, the, like the psychological effects that like um seeing like a streamer's like bedroom has like on a viewer like the fact that there seems to be like a prevailing aesthetic or just like a prevailing strategy for like how you frame your space like what it looks like um making sure that it still feels relatable ninja's like bare bones bedroom with just like a red bull fridge it's in like this insane mansion but i feel like <laughs> it's just the camera is like... turned in a particular way it's like a yeah it's like a set you know what i mean like if you pull back from the camera it's like an artificial room set inside of this enormous house yeah you wouldn't want to see him streaming from his like foyer or something like a gilded staircase behind him obviously like that wouldn't that wouldn't like that wouldn't come off as as authentic in the way that i think people want him to unless you're part phase clan that it might be yeah yeah exactly super oh yeah i guess the opposite end of the spectrum no but i think that's a good point of like i having again grown up with so much of the vlogger style content really back when back when vidcon was super huge like all of these different things where i think that so many people who are on youtube now not necessarily as content creators but people who are even just watching understand that so much of the youtube ecosystem even if it's a false idea of what the youtube ecosystem is is this idea of this is an amateur creator they started from nothing they did this in their home and they have built their way up to be able to having nice cameras and box lights and a Mm -hmm. pseudo studio setup like they built themselves up from this before it was just their macbook camera and they were trying their hardest like you don't really know most people for most content creators you don't know what their situation was when they first started but there is this really prevalent idea and i think that youtube as a company really really exaggerates this point of view of like our content creators are individuals our content creators are people who were amateurs that have dedicated time and passion to make things where that's the idea that hasn't really escaped YouTube. Like maybe there's a little bit more jadedness and cynicism about the digital content creation age with especially a lot of content creators speaking out on the ways that a lot of this kind of glamorized, pick yourself up by your bootstraps mentality isn't true. But I do think that is a particular component of how people say i don't really expect high production value like i can forgive a lack of production value because that's like what going to youtube means i'm not watching tv it's like you Mm. say to yourself i can throw that expectation out out the window even if it you don't even Mm -hmm. yeah i also think like to your earlier point like i i do think that people care about I think people want to feel as though like when they hit subscribe, they're like directly supporting this person. Like I think people, I think that's like what people value about the the audience streamer dynamic on a platform like Twitch too. I, I feel like they they want to feel as though like their donation of bits matters. Like it, it has like a palpable effect on like this per- person's life, and I feel it might be in a streamer's like interest to be like fully transparent about like where they are and what kind of resources they have access to because to say if you subscribe to me if you like donate to me like i can afford a nicer camera like i can afford to like make better content for you for that second that second property 
Yeah. <laughs> right. I just want you, know, I think the, the last thing I want to talk about, at least for today, is just on the brand channel development side. Was there anything that was surprising, like going through the best practices for developing a brand channel? Was there anything that was surprising in terms of what YouTube's guidance is in terms of what they find are best practices? Because there's with all of these platforms, it's like there's like the way that the platform conceives of itself, which is related to like their long term product roadmap in terms of like the, what they want to happen. And then there's a the reality on the ground in terms of what's actually popular, how creators are actually using this thing. That's a totally different thing. And brands often have to navigate those two things between what the sort of official guidance is versus what's going to be perceived as authentic as it relates to like marketing to gamers. Was there anything that was surprising in terms of what those best practices are? I think it wasn't so much like surprising in terms of what they were saying it just wasn't particularly i think it was surprising and how little was surprising about it <laughs> like, like it is very much the kind of things about develop a community be open to feedback make content that is good where it's like they, they don't really it would be hard for them as a company to actually fully substantiate what that means because you want to be able to encourage both brands and independent content creators to create content that you can serve to people, which they don't want to narrow anyone into a certain box of the kinds of content to create. But I do think that I know what we've talked a lot about for us and for our clients is that what's that value add thing about you're not necessarily going to be successful on YouTube if it's not aligning to what your business goals are and also to what you can bring to the gaming community. Like we've seen, we've talked about how a lot of branded channels do a lot of stuff that's a little bit outside of what they actually do as a company. Like we talk about Red Bull and Nike and all these other channels that create a lot of content that from a messaging standpoint makes sense for them to be aligned to but it does necessitate them to really think creatively and to invest a lot of time and energy and resources into developing this content that is more about sending a message as opposed to being like buy our product whereas there is also a pretty strong opportunity for maybe more close closely endemic brands to actually talk about their products and why people should buy them, like taking on that educational aspect, being a troubleshooting role, being able to do all those things, there is value to that they can bring. Whereas I don't necessarily think Red Bull would super benefit from pe just telling people, Red Bull, it's a drink, like, <laughs> and stuff like that, where it's it really does super depend on the willingness to invest in something that might be a little out of the box in those respects that you're not really going to be able to get much guidance from YouTube to tell you what content's going to work well for you because the content that'll work well for you is going to be the content you make that is good for what you need it to do. I, you know, I think as it relates to gaming also, one thing I, I think I've been consistently surprised by is in general, like the, there are so many opportunities to experiment on YouTube. There's a sense in which I think there are other platforms where the feedback from a gaming community is far more immediate and there are there are 
bigger opportunities, like areas of concern to try. Twitter is a great example. Twitch is a great example. And I, I think what, what ends up happening is that brands, when they're thinking about something like YouTube, I think there's a, a real concern that like, hey, if we do something on YouTube or experiment with just like a playlist on YouTube, it won't be perceived the right way. It, it runs the risk. And I, and I guess I feel like just the ability because of the asynchronous nature of YouTube, and obviously you can live stream on YouTube as well, but it, it makes it very ripe to try something new or try something just experiment. If you want to dip your toe in the water and be less concerned about the, like the long-term like repercussions, the lift is a lot lower. I think most brands have a YouTube channel, whereas like with Twitch, they may not necessarily have an active presence. There's a big lift in terms of like starting a Twitch channel. With Twitter, you run the risk of, it's hard. I think Twitter makes it very difficult to deal with the to have multiple personalities on Twitch. So if you're a big multi-purpose brand that has a lot of different things that you're doing, Twitter flattens all of that into a single feed. And so one of the things about YouTube that I think is I think is really interesting is that for brands that are interested in looking for ways to experiment with doing something in video, not only there's is there are there clear guidelines on what kind of content is popular on YouTube, but you can just like let's just try this and see how it works and then let it sit and then go back to the drawing board and see how things are in a way that like other social channels, it's very difficult to do stuff like that. And in large part, because I think YouTube does make it much easier for, for channel creators to be able to say, this is what's going on the homepage, right? This is the, this is our playlist. You just, there's a, a, a deeper ability to be able to con control that in a way that I think if you're a brand that's doing stuff with gaming for the first time, it can be super intimidating to try and do something like that. We're going to start our own Discord channel. We're going to start our own Twitch channel. Okay, who's going to be monitoring that? That's just like a huge lift. So I, I think a lot of ways YouTube can be a really good complimentary, but also a good place to start. If you want to start with gaming content, that can be a great place to, that can be a great place to play. So I, I don't know. That's something that I think has been interesting. The, the cost there, obviously the financial cost doesn't have to be as high mm -hmm. given what we've been talking about with the production value. But I also think that the risk or fear of failure in front of gaming audiences feels a lot lower on YouTube, provided that you've done your research, your homework. You're not putting yourself in deliberately in harm's way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that, that, that was one of the things I think that was surprising for me in terms of looking at some of the best practices for a brand channel. I also think it's like, on the other hand, I think you have to be cognizant of the fact that even like YouTube's most successful creators are in lo like locked in an eternal and constant struggle against YouTube's algorithms and it's <laughs> like for the like general lack of transparency about what is what it targets and what it what sort of sweeps under the rug. And so it's I can I can imagine that if you're a brand and you're like experimenting, you have an experimental attitude towards the content that you publish on YouTube, if something isn't performing well, like it might not be because like your content is bad or like it, it, it might not even have anything to do with any of these factors like production value, et cetera. Like I, I think it's, it might just be the algorithm. It might just be like an unlucky time to have posted that piece of content. So I feel like on the other hand, I, I think there's like a, as much as it's ripe for a lot of, for opportunities to experiment, I think like you just have to be resilient and if something isn't working, like just try a different strategy. Like luckily the medium, I'm sorry, luckily the platform is flexible enough that it can accommodate like a ton of different formats at once. All of them like related to gaming. Like I feel like there's, if one thing doesn't work, like you can try another thing, but I think it's cool. I don't know. It is cool because from a brand standpoint, taking it as the idea of an independent content creator, like if you take that as your mindset, like that is a huge opportunity for trying new things and like experimenting with different voices and formats and all of that, that brands can also use that to their advantage as well, where 
it's a pretty open space, pretty open playing field. All right, that's time. Thank you both for joining me. It's great. We'll post uh, we'll post some of the things that we referenced in the show notes. But yeah, thanks for you two for joining me. Maybe we'll do another YouTube episode. So many more things. It's <laughs> there's so much. It's like hard to talk about like YouTube as a thing. It's like there's YouTube and then you might as well be talking about like the internet at this yeah. point. There's yeah, just totally. so much. It's like very hard to talk about. It, it does really feel like that, but yeah. especially because YouTube is such a large portion of the internet. Yeah, It's hard mm. to say. It's like trying to talk about a continent in really broad strokes <laughs> like if the internet is the world then youtube is its own continent yeah i don't exactly. know and i don't know google is a empire i don't know yeah that's true um, but it's so big so big youtube that should be a new tagline youtube it's it's, it's huge it's just so it's big. big so it's just so big it's just so big <laughs> <laughs> all right thanks y'all and yeah. thanks and thanks to our listeners for tuning in this podcast is produced by me and with help from Anthony Martinez and Lynn Raffle with music by Lucene. If you like the show, please share it with your friends and colleagues and leave us a rating on iTunes or wherever you listen. I'd also love to hear from you. You can find me, Jamin Warren, on Twitter at J-A-M-I-N-W-A-R. You can also find 256, that's spelled out, on Twitter at 256podcast.co where you can sign up for our newsletter. Thanks so much and take care.